about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> JB, you start Let's. sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. I okay. hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I like where you're going with yep. this. For some reason... The word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. <laughs> and he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. <laughs> and now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Yes, yes, yes. We are back. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening on Saturday, February 9th at 11 a.m. on adamsank.com, leave me your ratings and reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to this thing. Email me at adam at adamsank.com and please like the Adam Sank Show Facebook page. We have an enormous show today. Our guest making his third appearance on the ass is Tony Award nominated playwright, actor, drag impersonator or female impersonator and legend charles bush will be back in the studio um but i also have a surprise for you uh, my my co-host as i said last week is the beautiful chris harder oh, welcome back stop. chris hi everyone's favorite burlesque dancer cum actor cum writer cum artist making that money however lots I of can, cum. you know but we also have a special guest today who would have been a special guest on the last episode had i known she was here she puts the R in DNR Studios. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Romaine Patterson. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Romaine, it's lovely to have you. And uh, it's always a complete surprise when you show up. I Nobody know. tells me. That's because I. it's so rare that I have... Okay, that's not true. I come into the studio often on the weekends. But uh, yeah, it's, it's always nice when I get to see you face to face. Yes. Mm -hmm. what, what are you doing here? Well, uh, we uh, recently have hired some new employees. Yes. And so typically mm. when I come in on the weekends, it's to train those new employees. So today I'm here uh, because we have four, well, we have three new employees and a new intern starting that I'm here to train a little bit and onboard them. Chris, DNR, like DNR, Studios. DNR Studios is exploding. I can't I didn't tell you how many shows oh, yeah. they... I, I, I didn't know about Matthew Camp's show. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I, well, you nine you shows altogether. You probably don't know about um, Ashlyn Salzano's show. Uh, she is a, uh, a, a Hispanic lesbian comedian. Mm. Um, she's going to be doing a weekly show here at DNR Studios, I believe Tuesdays at 1. You basically have... So you have daily shows... Yeah. There's three daily shows every day, every day, right? Monday through Friday, or yeah. two. Yeah. So there's there's three. Well, so okay. So on three. Mondays you have you start the days out most days with uh, the Taylor Strecker show, mm -hmm. and then um, almost every afternoon you have uh, Rob Shooter who mm -hmm. does kind of a fun gossip show, and then you have Chris's Derek, nickname is also Shooter, and yeah. then you have Derek and Romaine. Now on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays you also have Matthew Camp in the evenings. Mm -hmm. But then we have a bunch of day, like weekly shows. So we have uh, your show. We have I Love My Wife, which is hosted by Ann Steele and Kelly Carpenter. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Ashlyn Salzano's show, uh, You Know What I Mean. Um, anxiety. I'm, we have Anxiety, hosted by 
by uh, Donnie, Donnie and the Zara. Worst. They are the worst. But actually, I love <laughs> their show. I think their show is actually a really fun show. Yes. Um, and that Zara is super sexy. You like it. Uh, yeah, she's hot. She's married, but so am I. So it's okay. <laughs> I, I like that you lead with the um, fact that she's married. Yeah, she's married, but she's she's muy caliente, that one. Uh, and she's super nice, too, which I like. Well, listeners can, can get access to all of these shows. By subscribing to DerekandRomaine.com. Yeah, if you go, if you go right? DerekandRomaine.com, if you're a subscriber, uh, you can. You now have access. We we just launched a new uh, player called the Meta Player. Mm. I don't know what that means, but it's the Meta Player. And Think so of you it can, as multiplayer. Yeah, so you essentially can hear all of the different shows inside the Meta Player. It's kind of a one stop shop for all the shows. And soon, coming soon, we hope uh, we will have that Meta Player available to uh, Adam Sank listeners as well. We're working on. Woo! Working on some of the technology to make well, those things enter happen. Enter the player. Yes. Never let it be said that Derek and Romaine don't work hard oh. because they have been working tirelessly for years <laughs> to put this together. And I'm really thrilled for you. Yeah. And I'm thrilled for me and for all of us who are part of the DNR Studios family because that's a lot. It's growing and it's growing. It's growing in a really wonderful way. And uh, what I think the most interesting thing about DNR Studios is. Not only are we bringing in super creative, really nice people that you want to support, but also the audience has it is it is growing into a very strong community mm-hmm. um, that interacts with each other and amongst all the different shows. Like I know a lot of Derek and Romaine listeners listen to you, Adam, and they listen to all the shows across the platform and vice versa. It's really a, a pretty lovely community of listeners and that devoted. Oh, very. De- we love that. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Tell your friends. <laughs> well, we, we have a lot of bullshit to get through all before right, we it. get to Charles Bush. So we're going to start with a question to all three of you. Who do you guys think has the biggest dick in Hollywood? Uh, well, okay, Leah so Delaria. <laughs> in, her, in her nightstand, she probably does. Chris, you want to hazard a guess? Um... Mm. No, I come back to me. I, I think it. I know actually. Right, I, I'm gonna say Pete Davidson, but he lives in New York and he has ten inch penis, and that's the only place that comes to mind. Well, I should qualify this by saying these are penises that we've actually seen. I'm, or gonna, or I'm, gonna, go, I'm gonna go with John Hamm then. Well, no one's actually seen John Hamm's penis. We've yeah, only seen the basket. We've seen enough of it to know how gigantic his penis it's, is. I mean, Where can we see that? I'm pretty sure we know how. But hard it's it. never been full frontal. So you guys know uh, Mr. Skin. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. The w- mm-hmm. Well, there's a male version of Mr. Skin called Mr. Man, and they have come out with uh, a list of the the biggest penises that are actually visible on the screen, fully uncovered. Okay. In Hollywood, are, these aren't hard penises. These are soft. Right? These are soft. They can't show an erect penis yeah. in, right. in a mainstream movie. Which is stupid. Which is stupid, and also it doesn't really tell. You, like I bet when John Hamm gets hard, his dick is like two feet long. I would it's imagine so it's huge. big when it's soft. How did pe- where are these photos at? Oh my god! You haven't Search, seen John Hamm's go bulge Google pictures? It. I'm Googling John it Hamm right bulge. now, pretending to be in this conversation. Be, Chris, be like six it is. Inches. It's gigantic. It's mouthwatering. And he wears tight yeah. pants with no underwear. With no underwear. I mean, you can see every vein of really? his dick. Even I know that. How do I? How do I know this and you don't? All right. Well, well, the answer, because you're a much better gay man than I am. Well, the answer is Michael Fassbender came in first place. Right. Liam Neeson came in second place and why this is interesting is because they are they are both uh irish actors and i found this story on the irish post the irish post is very proud of the fact that both liam neeson colin farrell and michael fassbender all made the list um but on the other end of the spectrum the small list was headed up by leonardo dicaprio Um. tom hardy 
and Shia LaBeouf, who all have appeared full frontal and in with what appears to be tiny dicks. But again, I mean, at least who two knows? of those I could care less. I'm like, mm, that's right. Who, no one cares. And, who, and who knows if 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 we we're not seeing them hard? I mean, Leonardo could be a grower, that's not true. a shower. My dick, when it's soft, looks to be one inch, and when it's hard, it's like a good six inches. That's so, healthy. That's, that's good. good that's good. Yeah. That's that's like a boyfriend penis. The seven other lucky actors uh, who claim the 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 top spots are Jason Siegel. Omar Epps, Ben Affleck, Robert De Niro, Vincent Gallo, Javier Bardem, and Ewan McGregor. Oh, I bet Javier Bardem has a big cock. I would fuck all of them on that list. You right. know what I like about that list? These are men who are brave. Yeah. Yeah. These are brave men because there are so many men out in Hollywood that are a bunch of big old babies that can't show their peens. Even though women have been showing their puss and their tits for Forever. a gazillion years. Right. And these guys, are, finally the guys are like, you know what? I got a peen. Let me show it off. Yeah. my wang. I'm just transfixed by all of these. I'm just applauding Romaine Giant because. Thank you. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Oh my God. Right? It's pretty incredible. Well, speaking of penis size, uh, another survey came out, and this was done by our friend Dr. Evan Goldstein of, Bespo- of Bespoke oh. Surgical, my, my ass doctor, right. and he's been on the show before. And um, now, this is not a scientific survey by any means, but okay. they surveyed 1,300 men across the country, and they asked them two questions, which is what is their uh, penis length at full erection? And also, what length do they tell potential partners their penis is? Oh. So by this, they were able to track which state has the biggest penis and which state lies the most. Okay. Which state <laughs> lies the most? So the lies the most are going to totally be Republican states. I'm thinking Wyoming, Texas, maybe like the Dakotas. Oh, okay, North Dakota. Well, so. you're not wrong. The state that lied the most is Louisiana. Mm. Ah. Okay. But the state that came in first, who, who do you think has the biggest dicks in America? The biggest honest dicks or the real biggest Well, dicks? self-reporting uh, uh, for this very non-scientific I'm survey. I'm Florida because it looks like a big dick. <laughs> it does look like a dick. <laughs> I'm going to say... You're very close, by the way. Oh. Geographically. Mm. Oh, yeah, well, oh I'm just trying to think. I'm so bad at You don't even know what's next to Florida. <laughs> wow. Oof. Have you ever heard of Florabama Shore? Florabama Shore. It's the uh, shore Georgia. Be- shore be- Georgia. It's the shore between Florida and Alabama. <laughs> yes, yes, no, Alabama is the state with the biggest penises at seven point four four inches in length. As by an the, average. By the way, this only um, asks people about length, and as a connoisseur of penis, Girth I, is length important. doesn't matter to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. Really Girth is important. But picture: Would you rather have like length a three-inch thick stubby cock or like a six-inch slender cock? These are the choices. Yeah, those are both. Sometimes at the end of the night, when the bar is cleared out, this is what you have to work. If with. I had to choose Terrible between choices. those two, I would go with the longer cock personally. Right. Same I don't here. want a pencil in my mouth or my hole. But you I also want don't want like a weird eraser. You want a <laughs> I mean, I kind of do want a three-inch well, Mexican. Jesus. I, girth is so attractive to me it's so fun to suck on a girthy dick even if it's only like six inches if it's thick it really just feels good in your mouth and your it's, butt it feels like an okay. accomplishment and i have a very shallow anus oh I well can't, i can't take I learned like so a 10 inch dick about your ass <laughs> over the year and more than you ever wanted now to wait know. can i ask a question about Please. this um length and lying thing yes. now if you were lying about the length of your cock are you making it longer or shorter because i would lie the opposite i'm pretty sure i would say it was shorter than it is about your clitoris? so that that way they'd be look at it and go oh that's actually better than i thought it was gonna be oh well i'm like you i tell everyone that i meet and on the air that i have a tiny dick so that when people actually see it they're like that's not tiny that's perfectly fine i would lie to make it so that my real penis actually seemed impressive yes but but i think most Mm. guys think like oh i'm gonna 
I'm going to try to trick you by no. telling you it's eight inches and then hoping you don't realize that it's really six and a half. Right. I always lie about it. about half an inch. I you do? I do. You say it's bigger or smaller? I say it's about a half inch bigger. See, but you have a, a very nice penis. I'm more like a seven, but I try and get by with a seven and a half, depending on the light, perhaps <laughs> like... Uh, when know, I'm on Viagra... The temperature of the room. When I'm on Viagra yeah. and fully erect, I'm, I, I can go to 6.5. Okay. But the girth is not impressive. Oh, and I well. want to have a, th- a girthy one. Mm. Wah, wah, where's this the sad trombone? Next life. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, this is a story that Ryan Frostig sent me, and I love when people uh, send me content for the show. Um, and this is a weird story, but actually really cool. Three British teenagers, ages 14 and 13, two of them are 14, one's 13, they've come up with a new type of condom which can detect sexually transmitted diseases. Oh, I heard about this years ago i i thought they were joking about this but they this trio won the top prize in the uk's teen tech awards um there would be antibodies on the condom that would interact with antigens of the stds causing the condom to change colors kind of like when a woman takes a pregnancy test yeah yeah, yeah. and if it turns pink they're pregnant well in this case if if uh, they were exposed to chlamydia the condom would turn green or yellow for herpes or purple for papillomavirus or oh blue for syphilis. But here's wow. the problem with this. So you actually still have to stick your dick into whatever infected hole this is. But you're wearing a condom. But even though you're wearing a condom. So then you pull your dick out and you're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, what the hell is wrong with your whatever I just stuck my dick in? Well, it, actually, Romaine, you make a good point. It, the article says it seems unclear whether the STDs would be detected in just the user's partner or the user as well. There's also that awkward question of, you know, what do you do if you're in the middle of sex and you look down and all of a sudden your condom's green and you're like, oops, I have chlamydia. And so do you, right? Or do you have, the I guess the the bottom in that case wouldn't, or the or the woman, or do you have the conversation like, look, um, just to lay it all out on the line first, I'd like to um, put this sheathed uh, cock inside of you briefly, uh, pull it's it so out, hot, Chris, analyze and then look it, at it, see if and, you got anything. You know, if it doesn't better. work out, I'll take care of your Uber. Oh, that's a good <laughs> idea. So in other words, you're so thoughtful. So in other words, let's say you're both on prep, mm-hmm. and you want a bareback. But first, you're going to do this little test. You're going to stick it in with a condom. And if it stays the, the same color, then you're like whipping the condom off and it's just, you know, bareback to the race. Then why do you even need a condom? Why don't you just create one of those like litmus sticks and stick it up his ass and then pull it out and be like, mm, okay, because you're clean, let's go. I'm sure that'll be the next thing. Gay men are like, what's a litmus stick? Gay men will be like, like negative. Like it's kind of like a pregnancy test, but it's like, a just, like, have you ever. Have when you get a urinalysis. Doctor, yeah, like doctors do use it, the litmus stick. It looks like one of those little paint Yeah, swatches. like, and then it comes out yeah. in different colors. Can't you just see like the next phase? It was going to be bottoms with like. Like an endless but. supply of litmus sticks, like you know what I mean. Yeah, like, it'll be by the bed, like, prep, like five toothpicks. Sticks. Yeah. Oh, hi. Although I hope it doesn't feel like a toothpick, because that would be painful. Yeah. It have Oof. to. That's the thing. How are you going to stick a stick in, Romaine? That doesn't feel good. Well, it, it has have to, be to be rounded. It could be like a Q-tip, in and out. Oh, nobody but wants have a you Q-tip ever had that look as getting tested for STDs when they do Terrible. that little. Oh, and they go, oh god, yeah. Isn't that horrible? It's so dry. Oh my god, it's worse than like the biggest cock. Yeah. yeah, I agree. A tiny, yeah, yeah. Well, although speak- I don't feel sorry for you boys and your little cotton swab with, with what yes, women have to go through. What do you mean? Go they go through this. They put like a duck mouth in your vagina, spread the damn thing wide <laughs> open, <laughs> then they go all up in there. Well, it's insane. And also, isn't your mammogram? Don't they smash oh God, your they titties? They smash your tits until they're literally a pancake. Which, by the way, fucking hurts. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, Especially not good. Yeah. Humongous titties. I knew about yeah. the memory. I didn't know that's how they. That's how they swap. But yeah. sometimes they have to they stick like a Q-tip up our urethra. Yeah, too. no, I know. Oh. That sounds horrible. The worst thing in the world. Oh yeah. Unless you're into sounding. 
Well, staying in the UK, okay. uh, this story broke over the past few weeks, and it, I know you guys talked about it. It was all over Facebook. This gay couple who were caught having a three-way on the subway in London. Uh, Here's actual uh, audio. Um, they have now been sentenced and received a scolding. A court in the UK has fined these two amateur gay adult film performers after they filmed themselves having a threesome and then uploaded the video to the internet. 35-year-old George Mason and 24-year-old Nicholas Mullen pled guilty to one court count each of, quote, outraging public decency. After having full sex, oral sex, I don't know how that's, oh, full sex, I guess, means intercourse, uh -huh. and masturbation in the presence of traveling members of the public. <laughs> they shot the video in February 2018 for something called HungYoungBrit.com. Oh my God, not my fans only. Here's, a, here's what I want to know about this story. People were on it. Wait, police were unable to locate the third man in the video. <laughs> here's my question. What were these? So, because we ride subway all the time here in New York City. Mm -hmm. What would you do if you walk on, get into a car, and two guys are going at it? Join I mean, them. you guys would be happy, but yeah. like, let's imagine it's a straight couple that's you know uh, reverse cowgirl in the in the subway train. What would you do? No, it would be upsetting. That happened to me before. I lived in Brooklyn. I was I lived in Brooklyn, going to Staten Island, and in that train ride, the four train, it's real real ratchet. And late nights got real crazy at Bowling Greens to when people would just have sex in the train car. And it's late. You don't really know what to do. So you kind of just move to another car because there's no one to call. I don't like, even think I do. I feel like really? New Yorkers are like, yeah, fuck this shit. You want to fuck? Go ahead. I don't care. Like, what do you really I care? Mean, well, I always have the smell detector. Te like, if it, if it smells really bad, then I'll move sure. to the next car. But if there's space and I'm comfortable and I, I already have like, my book out. Listen, sex. I've seen people on the subway piss shit yep i've all seen those them clip things. their toenails yeah. shave so all of those things are far more disturbing to me than fucking if people are mm. fucking like i might move away from it just because i want to kind of give them their privacy and i don't really need to <laughs> see they it really right. care about privacy <laughs> well clearly these what guys don't have a place to go we're made like we've all been there starbucks bathroom exactly get what you can get it girl <laughs> chris what's the most public place you've ever uh, had sex um, the most public place. Oh, it was actually one of the first films I did. It was in a in a an abandoned cotton gin right outside of Manchester. Wow. Mm -hmm. And there was nature walks that would go by it. But nobody else was there, right? Well, just the people on nature walks. So we'd have to like, you know, be very quiet then. Oh, although I guess I did have this period, this phase. I think maybe lots of people go through it. You know, we just always have like sex in the bathrooms at gay bars. Oh yes, right. Many like many a, times and right. clubs. Yeah, that's just that like was actually thing. my favorite sex to have for a long time. Yeah, me too. I'm a huge fan of public sex, but not if someone's like pooping next to you. You are Roman. Mm -hmm, I've had but it many, many times. Like, what's the most public? Like, I've had sex in the middle of a park. Oof. I've oh, had wow. sex on the hood of a car and parked next to a highway. Wow! <laughs> I've had, people driving by. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't. Were care. they honking? Uh, there were a few. Uh, yeah, I didn't care. I I love public. <laughs> no, sex. I think public sex can be very. In fun. those situations, yeah. are you completely naked or do you just have like pants pulled down? Uh, in the park situation, I'm turning was down naked. my headphones. You are so loud. Sorry. In the park situation, <laughs> naked. In the fucking on the car, she was naked. I wasn't. Yeah. Because uh, I essentially had her like up on the hood of the car, and I was essentially eating her out. Um, you are a wild lesbian. Yeah, I've done a lot of public sex. Yeah. Well, I've never had actual sex on a subway, but I did one time. It's I think I may. Have, I think I may have told this story on the air once. I was on a very crowded subway on a Sunday, or like a Sunday morning, and there was this cute little twink standing in front of me, and 
I got this sense that we were that there was something going on between us, uh-huh. and it was super crowded, and we kept getting pushed closer and closer together until finally my dick was basically between his butt cheeks. Like oh. we were we were wearing clothes, there wasn't nudity, but like. I was hard as a rock, uh-huh. and I was wearing like sweatpants, and so was he. And it was like inside the the, the little clamshell of his butt. Wow! And we rode that way for a while, and it was super erotic. And then we both got out. When I got out, he got out, and then I took him home and fucked him. Yeah. Shut up, serious. <laughs> yeah, it was good. That is the greatest fucking story ever. It was exciting because there were so many people around, and none of them. I mean, I don't think anyone knew, and they were a lot of them were going to church. <laughs> there was a lot of church people. <laughs> I love that story. That is like a great story. Yeah, Yeah. it was good. Well, speaking of things happening on the subway that shouldn't be, police are here in New York are looking for a subway rider accused of jerking off on the Q train and then wiping his cum on the pole. Ew. Ew. Oh, right. Have a little. If you're gonna fuck on the train, just at least like, be cordial yeah, about can't it. Can't you just fling it on the ground? Like, Bring why a you tissue. gotta put it on the fucking pole? That's disgusting. People touch that. This happened on January 21st around 12:30 p.m., which is like daytime, uh, on a southbound Q train that had just departed from DeKalb Avenue in Brooklyn. Uh, NYPD says the individual laid across a train bench with his hands down his pants, masturbating in full view of other passengers. Once he completed the act, he stood up wiped his hands on one of the train's hand poles, oh. and then lit a cigarette. Wow. <laughs> That's ballsy. In New York, literally. in New York, you get in way more trouble from for smoking on right. the subway than you do for jerking off. I gotta say, though, I kind of like his style. I mean, aside from the wiping your hand pole, your hands on the pole, that's just gross, and everyone else has to touch that. But the lighting a cigarette after masturbating in full view, <laughs> I do dig. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can get behind that. I mean, those subway poles are so disgusting. Oh, God, oh right. If I touch them and there's anything sticky or wet, I'm like, uh, I'm so unhappy because I know I can't wash my hands till I get home. Yeah, it's disgusting. There's actual video of this, by the way. Like, you Ooh. can see him, like, you know, because yeah. oh. someone started. Uh, nowadays, everyone pulls out their phones. I'm oh, a little concerned that Charles Bush isn't here yet. Is he out there and hiding? You think? I'll go check. Okay, because we're starting in like two minutes. Um, is he in drag? Is like one of the plants? Or? No, it's one of the plants. Can you imagine if both shows had no guests? This is gonna. You are a guest host. You're one of two okay, guest hosts right, today. Enough. You're too special to be a guest. You're regaling us with lesbian erotica. Yes. So here's a story out of Toronto, and I actually want your opinions on this because I have very mixed feelings. Pride Toronto, which is like their gay pride Mm -hmm. celebration, has voted against allowing the city's uniformed police officers from participating in this year's parade. Oh, really? The vote comes about three months after the organization lifted a ban on uniformed officers taking part in the event, saying they, uh, they were welcome to apply to be part of the festivities. They have their pride in the summertime. Um, but the decision to keep them out was made by a margin of 163 to 161. Uniformed officers were first banned in 2017 over concerns of racial profiling. And then again in 2018 over criticism that the police had not taken seriously the disappearances of several men who were missing uh, from the city's gay neighborhood, which they call the village. In a statement, Toronto police say that they remain committed to maintaining a dialogue with Pride Toronto as well as with the larger LGBTQ community, regardless of this vote. How do you guys feel about this? Uh, I feel like it's a mistake yeah. to ban them. And I'm going to tell you why. Because, A, uh, there are gay police officers, and I'm assuming they're the ones who are going to want to mar- march in the parade. And the ones that maybe aren't gay that want to be at the parade are ob- obviously 
okay with gay people and supportive of gay people. So why would you want to try to tear down that relationship by not including them? I think when you exclude people in that kind of situation where you're trying to build a relationship where you work together, exclusion is not going to do that. It's going to work the opposite effect. I think I agree. I, I don't know, though, because, if, again, we've talked about how if you're a person of color, police are terrifying. Right. Well, I think, again, it's... Or the, they the, can be. It's that, you know, intersectionality of of racial discrimination and gay discrimination and, and acknowledging that, you know... I think that just like last week's episode talking about um, Rent and Sarah Schulman saying it's not enough to just acknowledge that you're gay. You know, you, you have to, like, fight for a larger issue. So, um, you know, I don't know. Well, the debate goes on. We're going to say goodbye to Romaine and Bye, thank her everybody. so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's always it's a pleasure. Fun. Give me a heads up next time. I will. I'll, if bitch. I remember because, you know, I'm a mess. <laughs> JB, do we have time for a quick pride update? Yes, we do. Because While you do that, I'll be our guest. Yes. Oh, no. Well, we need the music first. So hit oh, no, it. I'll play the music. So hit yeah. it. <laughs> because even though it is only February, Chris... People are already celebrating gay pride in various various parts of the world and the country. February 15th through March 3rd, which is a really long period of time, is Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras down in Sydney, Australia. That is a really fucking long time. Where it's currently 115 degrees. I'm shouting because the music is so fucking loud. That sounds exact. Oh my god, in Australia where it's hot and sweaty and everyone has fun party accents. Two weeks of, yes, it's Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras oh, from, March, uh, from February 15th to March 3rd. But closer to home, Pride Fort Lauderdale starts February 21st oh, yeah. through 24th. You know, Chris, my birthday is February 23rd. Charles, get yeah. over here immediately. Uh, so I want to be in, at Pride Fort Lauderdale next time. I love Fort Lauderdale, and it's already so gay that I can imagine that Pride is just... People are, people are literally jizzing on those poles out there and wiping their hands everywhere. I'm hoping you know? that's the case. Uh, all right. It is now time for our guest segment. Our guest looks like he literally just rolled out of bed <laughs> 10 seconds ago. Uh, let's let, Before we talk to you, let's do our full intro. Our, our guest today is making his third appearance on The Ask. He is a legendary actor, female impersonator, Tony Award-nominated playwright, and cabaret chanteuse. He'll soon be appearing in a brand new cabaret show at Feinstein's 54 Below entitled Native New Yorker. Have a listen to the cabaret stylings of Charles Bush. Life down a hole takes an awful toll. What with not a soul there to share with. Hurry, it's lovely up here making each day of the year changing my life with a wave of her hand nobody can deny and please give a warm ass welcome to charles bush Yay. oh thank you you have a lovely audience I wish uh, our listeners could see the visual of Charles <laughs> listening to himself while stuffing a croissant <laughs> down his throat. <laughs> That's our montage you edited. It sounds like you know, Kate Till presents the sounds of the 60s. It wasn't a montage. Is it, was it more than one song? Yeah, I, it was a couple of things. So oh, dear. It was nice. It was it, you sound beautiful, and that was from mm-hmm. your last cabaret show. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was my show that was all about the 60s. And my new show is all about the 70s, because I just... 
the last one was such a triumph, you know. That <laughs> it was a triumph. It, well, I did it all over the country. I'm going to move this oh, mic wow. a little closer yeah. to you. I, I, I traveled all over the country doing it. And um, so it's this new show that I'm starting to do right now. Uh, it takes is all about my life in the 70s. And, and really, was, it takes me from college through my big break, which was a play called Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. And... Uh, it just the decade was really all for me was just all about try, trying to figure out how I was going to somehow get a career going and and doing it my own way because I knew if there's no way I was going to succeed doing it anybody else's way. Yeah. Mm. What what are some of the, uh, the the songs that we'll be hearing in this show? Oh yeah, it's a really interesting group. Um, oh, uh, touch me in the morning. It's a very sure song. anytime. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got a name. I got a name. I love Jim Croce. um, Very beautiful song by by Michelle Legrand called Pieces of Dreams. Hmm. It's a beautiful collection of songs. But it's a lot of, you know, my shows are a lot of talk. You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, I really am telling my story. uh, Poignant, hilarious. Yes, always. (laughs) But one thing I've noticed about you is, you know, your plays are known for you know, their sort of farcical nature. They're yeah. they're very funny, they're campy. Kind of comic melodrama, I guess. It's yeah, like. and, a, and, and, and a lot of satire. But your cabaret shows, um, at least the one I saw and, and what I've seen online, are, are sort of poignant. And, and you're not necessarily trying to be funny or, or be silly. Well, I, I tend to like to take sad songs and make them grim. But, um, <laughs> but, 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 but that said, that the, the stories are the uptunes. So, so it's it's a real roller coaster of tone, but yeah, but your your point though is is a very true one, Adam, because uh, what I like about cabaret is, that I've been doing for the past about six years now is a chance to to be very um, r- real, and yeah, very authentic, and you know I'm not in my plays, you know I'm playing a different character in every every play, and so in this case, uh, I think it's nice when a uh, cabaret concert performer. Um, is ninety nine percent just who they are? Mm-hmm. You know, the other one percent is you've got to punch it up a bit because right. you know you're not in your living room; you're on a stage, and, and you're not doing them in drag anymore. No, no. Although you're not exactly <laughs> male entirely. Say, uh, well, well I when I saw you, your your eyes were were painted for the back row. You look, <laughs> they looked gorgeous, and you were in kind of a um, what would we call that that top that you had on. A halter. Why is it? I'm pure waste. Now, I well, I when I decided about it two years ago to uh, divest myself of, of feathers, I th- I thought. Um, well, first I started just doing it in a black shirt and black pants, and I thought, am I am I so completely lacking in any kind of imagination that it's one or the other in, in this, right. these fluid days? So I'd say my onstage costume is is the place. Where Bruno Mars meets Helen Lawson. Wow. The and there is a place where they meet. And I'm it, baby. I'm it. There's only one thing that comes out of a Helen Lawson production, and that's Charles Bush. That's right. Charles, you came of age in New York, right? You were sent yeah, to I, live with I, your I, aunt from I, a very I, young age. Yeah, I was born here. I'm a nat- My show's called Native New Yorker because I, mm. I am but a did, Native New Yorker. But didn't you temporarily live upstate? Well, no, well, Westchester is a suburb. Yeah. Hartsdale. Yeah. But so you're New York, born and bred. And when you look back, when you look at the, particularly at the 70s mm-hmm. to now, what are the biggest changes that you see in, in this city? 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I tell you, in the late seventies, because I went to college in North, I went to Northwestern. So there was the middle of the seventies. I was mostly in the Midwest, you know. And then I, I st- after I graduated, I stayed two more years trying to figure out exactly what I was going to try to do and how to do it. So I came back to New York in '78, and I tell you, it was a sexy sexy time mm-hmm. it was so it was so cool to be young and gay you know in new york in the late 70s and you know it just it was a party we didn't think ever would end and and it was just there was sex everywhere and it was gay 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 you know and we had you know we in those days because we weren't so assimilated it was you know i'm kind of per- first generation post stonewall that you know we had you know gay bookstores and gay restaurants and gay, you know, mm-hmm. gay boutiques. I mean, everything, you know, now, you know, gay theaters. And, and then eventually we kind of achieved the goal, which was to be assimilated. So there really was no need for these kind of segregated pockets. A lot of people talk about um, how, uh, how they miss old New York or how they, you know, I feel like, especially in nightlife, like every, every generation before says it was better. Do you feel yeah. like, do you feel like New York was better when you were, uh, in your youth, perhaps, or or did you like it better when it was less assimilated? Mm. Well, listen, everybody likes it better when they're younger, but I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I think it's probably better today, in a way. And mm-hmm. uh, in what ways? It's, it's, I think it's kind of wonderful the advances that that we're really part of. You know, I mean, still mm-hmm. there's you know it's terrible. I mean, and we're in this backlash now, of course, with you know, the American make American great goons. But um, generally speaking, in New York, I feel mm-hmm. like we're part. Gay people are just part of the fabric of of the city. I think that's great. And I, you know, I'm not one of those older people who just is. Like, it's terribly unattractive to <laughs> terribly attractive to be like, oh, you know, it was so much better back then. I, I am not going to fall into that trap. It's just so aging. You know, I may even believe it, but I ain't going to say it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember New York in the '70s. I was a child. Uh, living in New Jersey, and we would come in for Broadway shows and, and museum trips and things like that. And I remember it just being a very scary place to me. It, it was, you know, there was there, you'd go to Times Square, and it was nothing but wall-to-wall porno theaters yeah, and true. prostitutes everywhere and drug dealers everywhere. Now, of course, I would love that, but at the time, <laughs> I was really frightened. Now it's Disney World. Yeah. And but when I think of like when I first moved here as an adult, I was 25. It was the mid 90s. I think of that as like the best time of New York. But as Charles said, that's just because I was young. Whenever sure. any, every period when you're young and you know mm-hmm. and out there, you know, having a wild time. That's that's bathed in nostalgia. I mean, we had mega clubs that we went dancing in every night that no longer exist, and I have to think that was better. Than it is now, but then I think, what did I ever do in those mega clubs? That was yeah. so great. I did a lot of drugs and I had a lot of sex. Where people? Where do people go now? I don't know. Chris, oh, no, you tell yeah, us. No, I have Chris. no clue. JB, anyone know? Yeah, we had a discussion. Fun. I'm an in-house child. I stay in my little one-studio apartment. I don't go <laughs> in out. In Far Rockaway. In Far, Far Rockaway. See, yeah, it makes it even worse. I live far away. Tells you more about my life. But I keep imagining it because I sort of vaguely hear about just all sorts of marvelous places in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I mean, and and Sasha Velour has her, her drag nights and the thing. I think right. the, the interesting things that were happening... In Manhattan, when when you were coming up, all of the underground theater and the underground drag is now happening elsewhere. It's yeah. happening way uptown. It's happening in the boroughs. I think Manhattan has basically priced out yes. uh, new art. Everything mm-hmm. is about real estate, yeah. ultimately. My my big break in the um, mid-80s was in Alphabet City, 
you know, far east, far far east village, because there it was nobody wanting none of the real estate people at the time saw any interest in it. So it it was kind of all it's like rent, basically. I guess is you know. Yeah, we were talking about rent last week. But yeah, but it was just all you know, it was all kind of burnt out buildings, people squatting them, and and, then. but then suddenly there'd be the little pockets of the, the interesting dance club or the, mm-hmm. the, the weird edgy art gallery and you know, performance space. Right. And so it was a very exciting brief period. But then, you know, as usual, it became so interesting that suddenly the rents all went up and then all those places closed. And, and now it's just sort of part of the city. It's this constant cycle in New York. I don't know if it's yeah. like this in other cities, but like mm-hmm. um, uh, anytime a neighborhood starts to get better, as far as like it's safer, mm-hmm. it's you know it, there are nice places to live. It, there's interesting things going on, interesting restaurants to go to. Suddenly, it becomes too expensive for anyone to live there. It's this gentrification well, the, basically thing. Basically, gay people go in, and, and we make, make it pretty, make, make it pretty and stylish, and mm-hmm. then out of them. Yeah, and then that, we that, move somewhere else, and do, it's the cycle just keeps going on. That's why I bought my place in Hell's Kitchen in 2000. You bought it? Yeah, like, when it was still a rundown neighborhood and there were no gays living you there. Bought it Are you like secretly rich? It was really cheap. I mean, any money I have is that apartment, and That's amazing. and it's the I always tell people it's the one good decision I ever made because mm-hmm. I moved there and all the gays were in Chelsea, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Why are you moving to Hell's Kitchen? It's disgusting." And I was like, first of all, it's ten blocks from where you are." Second of all, it's the center of everything. I'm in the theater district. It's cheap as fuck. No. I'm not bothered by the hookers and the drug dealers. They're not bothering me. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can come in handy. It was, it was right. scary. I had a friend who lived on, on West 46th <laughs> Street. And, I mean, he was robbed. It was more regular than, you know, than, you know. Really? If, you know, if, you take an X lax. I mean, it was so regular. I mean, it was just every every <laughs> week. You know, he got robbed. Wow. I did have someone crawl through my uh, window once when I was not at what? home. This is a crazy story, which I won't go into. I wrote about it for the Times, but um, some guy climbed up my fire escape, climbed in, ran through the apartment, broke my bed, and left. He didn't take anything. Was this, was this was like a former lover? N- like I, I don't trick? think so. I mean, was anything's he looking possible. For something that, that didn't I think he was looking for something under the bed. He thought maybe there was money under the bed, and he somehow broke this heavy IKEA uh, bedboard. But um, he was eventually caught. But uh, after that, I put bars up on that window. That was the yeah. only window you could get through, and I never wanted to have the security gate because mm. you want to look out your window. Yeah, terrible. I, actually, I got to tell you, something happened a few months ago. I, there's a wonderful, very edgy theater called Theater for the New City on the Lower East Side, where yeah. I've had a relationship for many, many years. And, and it's absolutely it started in the 60s, and it hasn't, they, they haven't mopped the floor since. Uh, anyway, it's a fantastic place. And, it's, uh, and so I did a play there uh, last April that I wrote and acted in, and we're going to do the play again at, for a a different theater um, in exactly a year from now. But anyway, we're, it was a very funky kind of place. So there was no real dressing room. So to, behind the set, we just had this very long table set up with mirrors, and there were six of us in the cast, and we were all kind of putting on our makeup, and I was in the center. So we, we arrived one night to do the show, and suddenly, you know, Jennifer at one end of the table goes, oh, oh my God, my, my expensive NARS 
makeup brushes are all missing. And then Nancy at the other end table, oh my God, my expensive Laura Mercier foundations are missing. And then Christopher is like, oh my God, my expensive Mac brushes are missing. Each one, and I'm looking, searching through my things, and nothing's missing. And you know, it, it didn't look very good, you know, for me. And, uh, and then suddenly there there was a theory, you know, that because it's sort of lighter colors and darker colors, both are missing. That there were two thieves, and uh, I, I suddenly I, you know, I kept searching. Something's got to be missing from me, you know. And I, I started hearing these voices in my head of the, the, the thieves, like, like, oh, honey, skip that shit in the middle. You know, uh, I wouldn't wear that to a dog fight. That's strictly Dwayne Reed, you know. Oh, so so finally I just had a safe face. So I I, I said, uh, oh, I I I think my duo eyelash glue. Might be missing. Oh, I'm, missing I'm missing a lipstick. I it think it was humiliating. Yeah. Nobody wanted to touch any of my crap. I don't think my stuff was good enough to. <laughs> no, all, all of my stage makeup is wet and wild and under five dollars. <laughs> Ma- Maybelline, honey, right. Maybelline. I, uh, Charles, I want to go back to vampire lesbians yes. because uh, I just had this memory that I I don't think I've ever told you about when I was little. We would go to synagogue. We would go to Temple Sinai. Where is he going with this? I know. <laughs> and on the on the front table, like the front desk of the synagogue, there were always these twofers laid out. Do you remember what twofers are? No. This was before TKTS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could you would have this little coupon that would get you two to one to a, an off Broadway show. Usually it was off Broadway. Uh-huh. And uh, and so I remember there always being nonsense. And like uh, Sister Mary, Sister, what was it? Sister <laughs> Mary Ignatius, Ignatius explains yeah. it all. Yeah. And vampire lesbians of Sodom. And as a child, <laughs> I remember thinking, what is this? And how weird that this is in the middle of a synagogue where children are walking by. That's it's peculiar. I find that rather, very odd. When you wrote that show, you couldn't have imagined that it would have the mainstream appeal and the staying power that it no. did. It ran for what? Five years. Five years. Yeah, and it's done in colleges and schools and mm. all sorts of odd things and, and a lot of I, I must say so many people over, over the years have told me oh we, you know the first time I came to New York you know uh, I, I, I saw the marquee and that the, it was the first play I ever saw in New York but it, it, which would make sense if you were young, around. a young gay person yeah. and you see this crazy name and you're attracted to it just uh, yeah no I, I, it, it was something strictly that we had done for fun in the East Village for one weekend you know, and, the, and that title which certainly has served me well really was just you know, I, I wrote this play for us to do for the weekend and I needed a title and I called um, my best friend uh, Ed who was in advertising I said I, I'm supposed to call this it's not really a play and you know, it doesn't matter we should, I have to call it something and he said um, vampire lesbians of Sodom I said that'll do Really? Yeah, yeah. I wish I could take credit for and it. And I always get it wrong. I always call it lesbian vampires. It's vampire lesbians. It has more of a um, lurid... Um, <laughs> it's supposed well, the, to be kind of like a, like a cheap horror movie uh-huh. that, that they would never actually have the word lesbian in. But Well, also that they identify first and foremost as vampires. Yes, and the lesbian is just... <laughs> right. Well, actually, in the play, their, their main identity, they're actresses. Yeah. And that comes first. Right. They're actress first, then... Vampires and lesbians. How did your life change first. during during <laughs> the, the course of that show as it blew up? What it, what did it mean overnight. for you? Over overnight, I I I've had uh, you know opening nights that were more grand. You know, I had a Broadway mm-hmm. play and it was thrilling. But um, my life changed literally overnight. That the day 
for the opening night of Vampire Lesbians, I was still doing office temp work. Next day, never had to do it ever again. It and just, did you know uh, that? Did you sort of know, yes. like, this is it, I've made it? Yes, I did, actually. I, uh, I tell the story in the show, but it's just, I, the opening night when the review, because, you know, the critics come to a preview, mm-hmm. and we had, you know, about, you know, 72 hours of just torture waiting till opening night when the review from the New York Times would come out. And then, you know, the opening night came, and all our friends were down in the green room, you know, cheering and, you know, celebrating. And, and we had this little really kind of homeless urchin back, work backstage, Joey, who pulled the curtain. And he ran out and suddenly came back and said, here's the New York Times. It's out. The early, early edition. And I, he threw it to me, and I was shaking. So I, I couldn't read it, and I threw it to my friend Ken who produced and directed and was acting in the show and he couldn't read it and, and finally my, my old friend Ed you know uh, grabbed it and read it out loud and it was this incredible rave review and who wrote uh, the review uh, it was he was actually kind of a third string critic there uh, DGR Bruckner and and there was it was very sweet because everybody got mentioned and and mm. all the people in the cast we who I'd written these parts for friends of mine for many years and they'd all basically been told at some point that you know, there's no place in the theater for you. Right, you are unemployable, and they all got this rave review. And I just, you know, went into my. Everybody was cheering and carrying on, and I slipped into my dressing room, and I just sobbed because I, it was ten years of such struggle, and I, and I knew I, I was pragmatic enough to. I, I knew what it meant, and that uh, that my dream of earning a living was going to come true, and. The, t- the Times still has power, I think, but mm-hmm. not that kind of power. Like in those days when the New York Times raved about you, you knew you were going to run for a long time. Yeah, and yet, you know, yes, because there, there are shows like Wicked didn't get a very good review in the Times. Well, oh, right, really? because na- now you have shows that are review-proof because yeah. they appeal to families and they appeal to yeah. children. Yeah. I, I have to say, I think that's one of the worst reviews they ever wrote. Wicked is a terrific show. I, I was, love I Wicked. It, I thought it was very good. I, I, yeah. And I, I went with a terrible chip on my shoulder. It was the same season that I, I had a ter- huge, notorious flop on Broadway called Taboo that uh, hmm. Rosie O'Donnell produced and Boy oh, George. I forgot wrote you wrote you wrote yeah, the I book wrote the of book that. To that. Yeah, for, of the American version, it had been it had been a hit in London until I took a crack <laughs> at it. And uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, so so our show was just notorious flop and closed after a hundred performances. And Wicked was a huge mm-hmm. hit, and so I finally went to see it and you know, with the chip on my shoulder, and I. I had to admit that it was awfully good. And Stephen Schwartz writes great music. And, and, and the, the book, book was so good. Winnie Holston's book was just yes. a great story and told wonderfully. And a real, um, uh, an indictment of the war on terror. I found it very yes. timely and very political. Yes. And um, I, I don't understand the hatred toward that show. But, but uh, well, anything that's too successful, people have to hate it. Oh, absolutely. P- New Yorkers especially love you when you're an underdog, but they love to watch the underdog get raised and then fall. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. And especially in the arts, I think. Absolutely. Charles, the last play that you wrote was, I believe, was The Confession of Lily Dare. Yes, that's one that we just did where I got my makeup. None of my makeup stole it. <laughs> and, but yeah, we're doing it again at, uh, through Primary Stages Theater uh, down at the Cherry Lane, historic mm-hmm. Cherry Lane Theater. Oh, great. But not till... Not till January of 2020, and I got so, I have to tell you, it's an interesting thing. I, I got so freaked out at the idea that it was so far from now 
that I, I think I created all sorts of weird physical elements. And so I went to, to a chiro, no, I went to an acupuncturist yesterday who uh, stuck all sorts of needles in me and, and, try, and explained that, that metaphorically, you know, I was feeling all these kind of weird, you know, things in my legs and stuff because metaphorically I was f somehow afraid of, of what the... Of, what, will happen to me in the course of a year before I do this play. It's interesting. I don't know. Mm. Are you, you know, an impatient person by nature? Do you like things to just keep moving? Yeah, I want it to happen now. Well, also, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, and I, I you know, I'm, as you know, as you can see, you know, that I'm remarkably youthful. Very youthful. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, what, what, do I look 35, maybe? Absolutely. Would, is that what you say? Wouldn't yes. You say, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you say yes, that? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, yes. Please stop. <laughs> yes. But I worry, though, that within a year, the temple of time could come crashing upon my shoulders. But that can happen at any time in your life. You can, be, you can be 35 and, and suddenly be dead by 36. You know, we, none of us knows how, how long we've got. There's no reason to think that it's anything bad's going to happen now just because you're... You Look at Jessica Tandy. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, don't look at her now. Not now. Well, well right. Sure. Maybe but, it's I mean, a horrible thing to say to me. Well, no, but I mean, she she was old, though, right? <laughs> Charles, you've always reminded me of a young Jessica Tandy. <laughs> I want to invite Derek in because he's, he's uh, mulling around out there, but Pawing I don't think we even have a working microphone for him, do we? Oh. He's going to be so sad. Is that microphone working? Remember Chris tried it earlier and it was like... <laughs> All right. Well, go get Derek. We'll bring him in for the end. And uh, yeah. I know he'd like to say hi to Charles. Um, Charles, are you working on a new play now? Have you started writing one? I've been working on a book for mm. years. And I'm, my New Year's re I have two New Year's resolutions. One is to work out more. And the uh, other one is, uh, is to finish my book. It's a kind of a memoir, and, you know. And do the cabaret, I would think the cabaret shows would help you with that because it's a lot of the same material. And, and yeah, kind of, yeah. It's like a, sung, it's a sung memoir. Yeah, 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 it's exactly. It all kind of feeds, it's a, feeds, feeds each other. I read a very exciting thing online. First of all, I want to welcome a, another surprise visitor to the show. We had Romaine Patterson earlier, and now we have Derek Hartley. It's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> it and really is. Thanks for telling a bitch that you were both going to be here today. Surprise. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was looking for a guest. I was I desperate for a guest. Yeah, but I didn't want to be first here hour. earlier in the day. But I I'm here now. I see. <laughs> Did you find a guest? For the first hour, we were supposed to have, you would love this. We were supposed to have a quadriplegic gay guy who just filmed a porn video called Face Fuck Me. <laughs> okay. In which he was he played the face. Right. Uh, he the but he unfortunately could not uh he wasn't able to talk to us this morning. So Chris and I just we won it he for had, an he hour. Had lock jaw or something? Yes, he was suffering. <laughs> As an actor, I'm also only good from the neck up. So <laughs> I understand that. Charles, what I was going to ask you, I always do my research on you before you uh, come in because okay. you have so many projects. I read that the tale of the Alge's wife, your Tony Award nominated play is going to be made into a feature film. With some very big actors. Well, that's what they tell me, but uh, you know, it's, until the c I hear the cameras cranking, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> order that that, that Chateaubriand, you know, right. steak. Right. Has, has this been in development for years? Only about seventeen. Oh wow! <laughs> Is it still going to be with Sharon Stone supposedly? And Bette Midler. Those they're the attached to it. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I just um, is Bette Midler old enough to be Sharon Stone's mother in real life? They're supposed to be lovers. 
mother. Oh, oh, I thought Bette Midler was going to be the mother. Mothers and lovers. No, they're best. They're supposed to be best friends. You know, um, yeah, best friends. I want this to happen. I love that place so much. Well, thank you. I I, th- I think it will. I mean, the producers are. You know, they they got the money together, and that was you know not so easy. And and they're very eager. And it's it's really a matter of scheduling because the director's got TV series, and his he's mm-hmm. got a very narrow window, and then these actresses got narrow windows of time, and try get it all together i it looks good i think it would be really fun yeah it'd be thrilling all right in the time remaining we are going to play everyone's favorite game ask me no questions ask me no lie and derek you can play as well oh i'm very excited uh we'll just go around the the room starting with charles of course your oh. favorite male sex symbol from the 1970s uh, warren Beatty. oh i thought he was so hot chris a jack wrangler is that a porn star yeah yeah uh, Derek? I mean, I had a colossal crush on the Hardy Boys. That's what oh, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevenson, honestly. I, when I was a kid, it was more Sean Cassidy, but as I have gotten older, it is definitely Parker I've Stevenson. never heard anyone besides me say <laughs> this. It was Sean Cassidy because Parker Stevenson looked a lot like my sister. Oh, that's very <laughs> That was a turnoff. Same, same shag hair. I love Sean but Cassidy and the, the one from Partridge Family. David, David Cassidy. Cassidy. Oh, yeah. oh that big dick. Oh, oh yes, the picture but, of him in Rolling Stone. But yes. I do have to say, Robert Conrad was my super crush from The Wild Wild West. And even still, doing Battle of the Network Stars, when they ran the relay, and then he like cooled down with a cigarette, I was like, yeah, that's right. Welcome to the 70s. <laughs> and Gregory Harrison was very sexy. I, oh, I don't think anyone else Stop. is going to have an answer to this next question. <laughs> Charles, what is your bra size when you're in drag? <laughs> Very small, you know. I'm from sort of the Catherine Hepburn kind of uh, school. I'm, I'm one of the not one of those, you know, big-breasted women. You're demure. So, like a, yeah. a what an A, a B. I don't know. I got B this. Plus. I got this. I don't pad that much, but we, you know, in place. But uh, but I have like this old bra that I, I, I put my legs in and pull it pull it up. <laughs> wow. What's your bra size, Derek? I, honestly, I have not. Uh, I don't know because I don't think I've actually worn a bra in drag. I don't know, 25 years maybe? A long time. I'm a 38D. Because <laughs> 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 I have a big back. and, and uh, uh, Right. Yeah. Okay. okay, Charles uh, and, <laughs> and others. Uh, should straight actors ever be allowed to play queer roles? Well, you know, I th- you know, I think it's really cool right now is that um, Andrew Reynolds, who's you know such an out gay actor, is playing a straight role on this new series, Black Monday, and, and really fantastic. And that's the... If it was just equal, you know, it, it, the problem is just when that it's kind of rare for out gay actors to be able to play a straight part. Chris? Absolutely. I think, you know, again, there's no point, especially in an artistic field, to try and limit someone. But I would agree. It would, it would be refreshing for the culture to accept the fact that, you know, guys who suck dick can also pretend to like a vagina for two yeah. and a half hours. I mean, hours. Neil, Neil Patrick Harris played a womanizer on How I Met right. Your Mother yeah, for years great. after yeah. he came out, and, and everyone great. was fine with it. Yeah, so it should ha- that should happen more. And then, I, yeah, I think everybody should be able to play whatever role. But, yeah. but it has, should, has to be equal. Derek? Uh, no, I, I agree, because I have also been enjoying uh, Jonathan Groff on Mindhunter on Netflix. Oh, that right, is right. decidedly a heterosexual character. Uh, I think that they, where the issue is is that they, try, they make a high-profile movie with a high-profile gay character, and then it's like, oh, well, who's the straight star we can put in this immediately? And I yeah, think now right, right. we have a fairly deep bench of performers that I think they don't necessarily have to go to I a mean, shot. here we are. We're, we're available. <laughs> we're waiting, Hollywood. <laughs> Who, besides yourself, is the greatest female impersonator of all time? 
dear. Well, among the younger crop, uh, Lipsinka. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should be thrilled on all counts. <laughs> it was terrible. One time, I, not that long ago, I was asked by well, somewhere to put, write a list of my favorite drag performers, and and somebody took umbrage, you know, online that that you know they all were from dead. Yeah, or just <laughs> there was no there was nobody really contemporary, but you know, that was the frame of reference that I I, I had as sure. far as you know who made an impression on me. But I I think. Um, you know, I, I love some of the, the people on Drag Race. I think Jinx Monsoon is so talented, and and uh, but um, you like the comedy queens or people who, I like, who I like do something. I like the balance of, of glamour and comedy. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. what I like. That's what seems to. That's very much your sensibility. That's my thing. Yeah, you were influenced by by Charles Pierce, were you not? And Charles Ludlam. We all everybody's Charles. Everyone's named Charles yeah, in yeah. the drag world. Yeah. Uh, do you, what's your answer to that? You know, I am. Um, I just want a performer who who can exude glamour, but also, but also be funny and perform. Yeah. And I think sometimes on on these shows, especially RuPaul's Drag Race, half the performers are you know pageant winners, and half of them are like people who busted their ass on gay bar stages the size of this you know coffee table to yeah. to make people laugh. So I I really like Sasha Velour, and I really love so, so talented Ben De La Creme too. Yeah, Derek. Uh, I want to say Ethel Merman. But yes. that's my first thought. But uh, since my mother isn't here, uh, I have to uh, I have to mention Craig Russell, um, who oh, starred yes. in um, a movie, Outrageous, which is my mother's favorite movie. And uh, he was a terrific talent. Oh, and I and I do think that there have been great uh, performers over time, and it's very easy for them to get lost to history. He's been gone now for I think thirty years. Yeah. So, uh, but Outrageous is available on DVD. Like you should check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful movie. It's a wonderful movie. And um, but I would have to say because I'm such a Judy Queen, uh, Jimmy James. I oh, so he's so talented, and it's the voices that come out of him unbelievable. And uh, so I I what I love about it is that different performers can have a different take. And bring their own talent to it mm. in their own way. So for me, uh, uh, Var- that's what I like. Uh, Varla Jean Merman, right. I think, is so talented. Someday I want to make a documentary about the history of drag and all of the the male and female uh, drag performers of the like early half of the 20th century. Uh, the Times has this incredible obituary right now of Gladys Bentley, this drag king who was like the queen of the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. And there's some a few recordings of her, and she was just unbelievable. And no one knows about these people mm-hmm. who would get arrested, you know, for performing on stage it's and drag. Very, very ephemeral. Charles, have you ever gone out in leather? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know how I thought of this question. <laughs> I was just trying to picture you in the most uh, unlikely outfit. Uh, I guess not strictly, but you know, I've. I don't mean I've like uh, a leather skirt. I've, I mean, I've covered the waterfront, honey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a fellow of vast experience, darling. I've, 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 and I've always basically done everything twice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> First, just to try it. And, and, and been very critical, and then I go back for more. <laughs> just to make Character sure. Character study. Yeah. Uh, Melania Trump, victim or villain? Victim. Wow, that's generous. Can't you be both? Human, maybe. Just and, human. And, and finally, human. Charles, give us your best New York accent. Well, there's so many, but you know, I, I suppose that I, I prefer the kind of the Long Island accent that my friend uh, Julie Halston has. Yes, you yeah. sound a lot like her. Yeah. Will you be employing the accent during your cabaret show, New York Native? Native when, New York. When I talk about my friendship with her, yes. 
Beautiful. Your cabaret show, Native New Yorker, is happening at Feinstein's 54 Below on February 6th, 7th, 8th, and 27th. Why the big gap? I was supposed to do the 9th, <laughs> and then suddenly they got some big corporate thing happened where they mm. got a million dollars to clear out the day. And so they asked me if I would do a special encore performance well, on I hope February yeah. 27th. I hope to see it on the 27th, which is my birthday week. Uh, tickets are available at 54below.com. Charles Bush, thank you so much. You are a delight, as always. You are a treasure. Derek Hartley, thank you for this impromptu cameo. I, I'm like the gift with purchase. <laughs> harder at, people can follow you at Harder Burlesque. Yes? yes, Instagram, Twitter. You guys, we will not have another show until Saturday, February 23rd, which is my birthday. But we do have over 80 episodes of this podcast stored away on iTunes. So go back. Enjoy some blasts from the past. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week, bitches. Bye.